I don't think anything else needs to be said at this point. There is so much excitement to be had following this team. I can't wait to see where they go. The U.S. exceeded all expectations this summer and gave us an amazing summer of soccer. And I'm just happy to have been a part of it, happy to witness it, happy to talk about it here on our brand new podcast that started at an excellent time and looking forward to great things this fall in World Cup qualifying. Glad that all of us who are maybe newer starting to follow along or jumping on with us because we're so happy to have you. One to nothing. The U.S. men's national team wins another final this summer against their most vaunted rivals, Mexico. I don't know what else to say other than what an amazing performance. Gutsy, grit, determination, motivation, all of those superlatives, adjectives rolled into one. Just very happy to be a U.S. soccer fan right now. What is up? We are the hosts of Yanks Go Talking, but today is a very special day where we get to hang over Mexico's head. L tree, two finals in one summer. Tom, big smile on your face. What are you feeling right now? A combination of shock and complete joy. I cannot believe we got the result last night. It was a hell of a game, a hell of a summer. Handing Mexico another loss in a huge game with a completely different squad just says everything about a crazy gold cup. And I take back any bad things I've ever seen. You, We didn't say any of that. You didn't see any of our previous videos. You didn't listen to any previous podcasts. Um, no, I, I feel like we were pretty positive throughout the tournament. We had some frustrating games in the group stages. But man, oh man, did we come through when the knockouts started. Yeah, no, I, I feel like the the episode about the Haiti game is sort of aged very poorly as a result of the knockout stages. But <laughs> whew, what a game. I mean, the grit and determination that the U.S. has showed and Burhalter's pure out coaching of Tata Martino has made me rethink a lot of things this summer. So I, I apologize to Burhalter. We're going to get that out of here first. The, I'm sure <laughs> someone know. has the receipts for me. <laughs> I don't know if the Haiti game was necessarily a bad indication of what this tournament would be like, but I did feel like Greg made a lot of personal growth in his coaching ability throughout the tournament. I know it's silly to think that over six games, a professional coach can grow that much, but if you watch how we went out against the group stage teams, how we lined up, the the experimentation that we did throughout those games, the substitutions that we made, the tactics coming out of second half. I feel like all of that just steadily improved as we got farther and farther into the tournament. And none of that worked better than in the final against Mexico. Oh yeah, agreed. The tactics and flexibility showed by Burhalter, especially knockout stages, the final really stuck out. We're spot on. It's something we haven't really seen a lot of him over his t- Tenure U.S. head coach, and it shows a lot of growth on his part, and it made a really good time. Yeah, I mean, did anything stick out to you last night that Greg specifically did with the team or any adjustments that he made? I think looking at the lineups that we played against Cotter and against Mexico shows you exactly Berhalter's tactical flexibility. Against, against Cotter, we went out with a very clear goal to sort of grind them into the ground with possession. We played Busio in the midfield. We played DK up top. We had 
Moore and Vines, who I think are more offensive wingbacks in the game, and then completely flipped the script against Mexico, running Bello and Kennan, who are easily more defensively sound wingbacks. And then we ran Eric Williamson out in the midfield, which is something we haven't done all tournament with Jossi Zardes, who's a much more defensive striker, I feel like, than Daryl DK. So we clearly went out with a game plan that was very different from Cotter. We went out to play Cotter. It was a, we're going to hold the ball. We're going to grind them down, try and win this game late. Against Mexico, it was a, we are going to bunker. We're going to withstand the storm. And if we can hold out for as long as possible, who knows what happens? And it was a great decision on his part. I loved the little wrinkle in that plan, though, where we did pick times to press and we created very dangerous possessions for ourselves by winning the ball high up the field. So it wasn't completely bunker ball, but it was 80% of that. And man, it, it worked a peach. And Tata Martino's team, you know, you're an Atlanta United fan. It seemed like for the most part, you know, crossing was their main way to try and get the ball into the box. But we we held Funes Mori to you know not that many chances. He had some really good chances, honestly. Um, Mexico kind of biffed a lot of their their best chances throughout the game, and I think in terms of that, for me, that's just mentality. Like in a final, when when you're eleven versus eleven, it doesn't matter the level of players that you're playing against. Anything can happen in that game. I think you saw throughout. You can point to Ariola hitting the post. You can point to Funes Mori missing some of his shots, but it just felt like the U.S. just had more confidence throughout the game, and especially as a group. And um, on the Fox broadcast, they were mentioning at the halftime of the extra time how the U.S. was grouping up together, clapping hands, patting each other on the back, and the Mexico players were laying down for treatment and huffing and puffing. Anything else like in terms of that grit, that athleticism, it's kind of like a classic U.S. win, almost. Not necessarily the the Greg team that we know. Yeah, I think I mentioned to you last night that it felt like it was a Bob Bradley team playing together. They really just felt like they had the classic U.S. We're not the best team, but we're going to play like the best team. We're going to tough it out and be mentally and physically tougher than you in this game. And Honestly, that should be the U.S.'s attitude every time they play a game. And it's kind of been missing for about a decade now. So it was very refreshing to see that come back for a night. I think that had to do also with the probably how the team felt about being called the C team or the the (laughs) B-minus team, knowing that, like, logically and objectively, that wasn't our best team that we put out on the field. I'm sure as a player on that team, you're feeling like, hey, man, I... I did this. I got to the final. We're playing against mm. Mexico. We we can win this. Oh, yeah, for sure. They had a point to prove, and they proved, proved it pretty well. Every single one of those players showed that they love the badge, love playing for the U.S., and are in the fight to play again for World Cup qualifying. That's all you can ask of those guys. They don't control who gets called up. They're just there to play their best once they do get called up. I think that what we see last night was also a case of what happens when there's an insane amount of pressure on you. I think Mexico felt the pressure to win growing throughout the game. I think you could see that, that, you know, it was the burden was not on the U S they were playing with house money at that point. They had gotten there. They had made their point. 
they were just out there to see how far they could push Mexico. And as Mexico kept not scoring and not scoring and not scoring, I think belief started to grow. You could sort of see it happening live in like the 70, 75th minute. Like the belief was growing and they knew that they were going to have, they were in it and had a chance to win it at the end. I love how each game of the tournament gave you a sense of a phase of the Mexico game. Like I think about the Canada game for bunkering and not giving up any, any great chances Think about the Qatar game where it was just like grind it out. We know we're more physical. We know we have more athleticism. We know we have more in the tank. And it was kind of like the culmination of all of our games in the Gold Cup had phases of the Mexico game where it was kind of like we we had been there, done that. We won all those games. We didn't tie or lose a game all tournament. We won every single game. And man, it I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps. Uh, I'm happy. I am ecstatic about last night. And a po- another point on that, we didn't just not lose a single game. We didn't give up a goal from open play in the entire Gold Cup. We didn't score many goals, but we did not give up a single goal from open play. And the only team to score on us was Martinique. Somehow. Yeah, on a penalty was, for yeah. Kellen Acosta. But you know what? Kellen <laughs> redeemed himself nicely in the last two or three yeah. games of the tournament. Yeah. And, it was a remarkably before- consistent goal. It was a remarkably consistent performance, actually, from everyone. It was five one O's and a six one. Yeah, the the grinded out mentality of a one nothing win. I mean, you're there to score more goals than your opponent. It doesn't matter if it's six one or one mm-hmm. nothing. The result's the same. You get the three points, or or you move on in the knockouts. And I do want to say before we go any further as well, this doesn't feel as good or as sweet without Mexico being such a great team. I think the oh, quality yeah. and the level of the opponent just makes this feel so much better. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, U.S.-Mexico is one of the great rivalries in international soccer. Having a strong USA and a strong Mexico battling out is really good for both sides and makes the victories that much sweeter and just pushes us to be better as a nation to try and beat a good team like that. Look at the last eight Gold Cups. It has alternated Mexico-USA, Mexico-USA all the way down over the last eight. So having that back and forth between the two nations is really good and just shows you how good both of us can be when we're pushing each other like this. Yeah. I do want to ask because thinking about this team, whether it's B minus, C plus, I give them an A plus for last night. That was amazing. (laughs) But um, is this... B minus or second team better than our first team was four years ago. I don't like, know. Could That's this team good... win against Trinidad and Tobago in the last World Cup qualifier. I do, I think there's a good shout for yes. I I do think that they have some better players. I think we see more like European type talent on this team. I think the one area where they're weaker is that even a young 17 year old Christian Pulisic probably starts and outplays some of our wing play this tournament. Yeah. I mean, that's one place to continue to criticize Greg was the roster selection, but honestly, like, what can you even criticize when we've just won the gold cup? Like it worked. Yeah. F it. I don't care if Jonathan Lewis is on the roster. Like maybe he was there for team morale and I don't know, 
but it worked. And if someone else was there in his place, maybe we don't win against Mexico. Yeah. I, you can say a lot about the roster construction and there was a lot said about poorly constructed rosters, but in the end, when you win a tournament, all that goes out the window. I mean, clearly he built the roster. He said he was going to build a roster to win the gold cup and he won the gold cup. So that's about <laughs> all you can say about it. Like he did the job. I genuinely don't believe him when he says that though. Like I, <laughs> I do think our priority was to find players for world cup qualifying. The fact that we won it is just like to use your Las Vegas reference, just playing with house money. The fact that we did it and we gave tons of players that we're going to need to rely on in world cup qualifying international experience against CONCACAF and transitive property. I mean, we're the champions of Asia now. I don't know if everyone knows that, <laughs> but um, yeah, I really think that we, we hit all the check boxes, including the, kind of auxiliary ones that were just icing on the cake. Oh, yeah. No, I remember at the beginning of the tournament saying, this is a team I expect to make the semifinals and not much else. And, you know, to see them not only make the semifinals, but beat the Asian champions in the semifinals and beat Mexico in the final is, you know, they've so far exceeded expectations and like accomplished so many secondary goals that it's just fantastic. I yeah. never felt more confident going into World Cup qualifiers. That's a dangerous place to be, but I feel the same. I feel the same way. Talking about that expectation and then kind of performing above that expectation, we've talked about Greg as a coach in terms of his tactician and lineup changes throughout the last few games of the Gold Cup. What about let's talk now about the players and what the game actually looked like. Personally, for me, I thought that every single player on the field that saw the field last night played incredibly well. I think even the people you can point to that maybe had a worse game than others, maybe someone like Paul Ariola, still put in a shift and did absolutely everything he needed to to give his value and give his worth while he was on the field with his effort. Who really stuck out to you last night above and beyond everyone else? I think there's three very clear players who probably stood on their head and had their best games in the U.S. shirt, if not quite their best games. I think Matt Turner, Kellen Acosta, and Miles Robinson were damn near perfect last night. Yeah, I completely agree. Do you think that this moves Matt Turner into contention for the number one goalkeeper spot? I think so. I think that you at least have to have the conversation because his shot stopping is otherworldly. Like some of those saves he made last night were insane. I don't know how he kept it like that. For example, that first corner out of the game, out of the net. Like they were insane. He just gives me so much confidence that we're not going to give up goals. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to look past that for a goalkeeper. Like Zach Steffen is excellent with his feet. He can be the 11th man on the field to help with distribution and playing out of the back. And Zach Steffen, to his credit, is a great shot stopper, but he's not really playing every week. Matt Turner, on the other hand, is sharp. And and I feel very confident with him between the sticks for this team. I think if anything, yeah. like competition is good to really push people. And maybe this is a... a 
notice to Zach Steffen and maybe Ethan Horvath as well going to a new team at Nottingham Forest that they need playing time if uh, or else or else someone like Matt Turner is going to come and take that spot from them. Yeah, and you know, Matt Turner's in the conversation as long as he keeps saving the shot to come back at him when he makes a mistake in his distribution. That, that's mm-hmm. sort of my take on it. Uh, as long as he can keep keeping the ball out of the back of the net, he's got a place in the conversation. And yeah, Horvath and Stefan are going to have to raise their game, be playing every week, and showing that they can match his shot-stopping ability if they want to be the t- starting goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team. We've now got three options who are good. And one of those options is clearly the best shot stopper of the three. Yeah. That's a really tough decision to make if I'm the coach, but uh, mm-hmm. let's, so let's move on to some other decisions that he'll need to make throughout world cup qualifying. You mentioned two other players, Kellen Acosta, and Miles Robinson. So taking the goalkeeper, one of the center backs and the center midfielders, you're really talking about the spine of the team having an excellent game for the U.S. Does this move Miles Robinson into the conversation to pair with Jonathan Brooks going into World Cup qualifying? Or who's your number two on the center back depth chart now? I think Miles Robinson has got to be in the conversation at least to start next to Brooks. He feels like the perfect partner for Brooks. He's not maybe the best passing center back in the pool. That's clearly Brooks and probably Richards is next, but his ability to just win one V one battles and win balls in the air is unmatched in the U S pool. Did he lose a one V one in the entire tournament? I don't think so. He, he might've missed one or two tackles, but it was still something that pushed the ball to the outside or made the opponent take a negative play. And, and I do yeah. think, James Sands is a nice stand-in for Jonathan Brooks. Both of them have very similar qualities in terms of passing the ball. So in a way, you you got to see how a partnership like that would play out because we got to see Miles Robinson pair with James Sands for the Gold Cup. Yeah, and James Sands also is a good stand-in in his defensive ability. He's a really good center of a back three kind of sweeper-destroyer. But he's clearly not the best center back in the world for a back a two-back system like we played in the last three games. And he struggled at times in that system. He gave gave the penalty against Cotter. He was picked on all night long by Mexico. Mexico clearly singled him out as the player they wanted to go after. And every single time he got beat or struggled, you know, Robinson was right there and made a play as a destroyer and just ate the play up and shuffled it out or managed to get a corner kick out of it. Made, made He just made life difficult for every opponent. I think, you know, how many times we're watching a game and it's like, oh, wow, Miles Robinson. Oh, Miles Robinson's there. Oh, wow, Miles Robinson. Okay, that's cleaned up. Robinson, or like, it's a counterattack. Yeah, Robinson destroyed it. Like, he was everywhere. And that's just such a comforting thing to have in a center back that it's great to ha- great to see that. And I think that it pairs well with a John Brooks. I think we got to see him at least once in qualifying the starter. So I think you make some really good points about John Brooks and Miles Robinson. He's probably up there for me, just creeping into that number two, number three spot on the center back depth chart. Kellen Acosta is a very interesting one because he kind of came, not came out of nowhere, but his performances in the game against Qatar and then the game against Mexico were just something I really didn't expect from him and a player of his consistency. 
Does he need to go to Europe now? He's on the Colorado Rapids, for God's sakes. What's he going to do there? <laughs> I I have not been on the Acosta to Europe train before. I've always been a fan of Acosta for the national team. He jumped back into the fold earlier this year. He's put in solid performance after solid performance. Only, I think, the Northern Ireland game was a really bad one for him. And that was a preseason performance from him. So... I've always thought, you know, it's good to have these floor guys in MLS who can, you know, help us out when we really have a, have an injury. We need someone to replace them. Our young guys have someone to sort of aim for or some, as someone to take out. But Acosta doesn't seem like a floor guy to me anymore after these last few games. He pocketed the entire Qatari and Mexican midfields for large stretches of the game. It's It's not like him to be... Ingolo Conti-esque for two straight games. And it does bring up a good point that he's only 25 years old and is still playing on the Rapids and surely is good enough to try on your Yeah, and I wouldn't use that player comparison lightly, that Ingolo Conte, but he was he was honestly immense in these last two games. The what I loved about his play against Mexico and Qatar was that after a few tackles, it just completely demoralizes the opposing team. If you're getting pocketed and you think that you have half a second every time you receive the ball, even if Kellen Acosta is halfway across the field, if you don't know exactly where Kellen Acosta is, you expect that he's going to be on your back because of the way that he's been playing the entire game. And that to me just... The play was incredible. The fact that Mexico is just going to have hauntings and nightmares about Kellen Acosta picking their pocket and being right behind them. I mean, there's, I do think for me, Miles Robinson was the man of the match in, in my opinion, but that game doesn't happen and doesn't stay zero zero without Kellen Acosta. And then oh, talk yeah. about his, his dead balls so much better than Sebastian Lejet swinging in <laughs> crosses, but man, oh man, did Kellen Acosta really impress me? Yeah, I think Watke actually did a video earlier this morning about the set pieces that Acosta took. He took two free kicks from about the exact same spot, swinging the same ball. The first one, Zardes made the run, but didn't make connection on it. And, you know, Ariola scuffs it off the head of the keeper and it goes out for a corner. The second one, same exact pass. Robinson makes the run and gets the connection on it for the goal. So he hit gorgeous free kicks both times he did it. It was awesome to see. I do want to read some stats here for Robinson and Acosta, just show you how good they had it, how good of a game they had. Um, Robinson 12 on his duels one. He had 19 chances. 11 with feet, eight with his head. Uh, five of nine aerial duels won, four interceptions, and two recoveries. Whereas Acosta was seven of 13 duels won, four clearances with seven interceptions and eight recovery tackles. Eight recovery <laughs> tackles. That is Angola Conte esque. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's some other players at the very end of this episode I want to talk about just generally throughout the tournament who's had their stock go up the most and who's had their stock go down but there's a few other players that i want to call out on on the team from last night i thought it was incredibly brave 
and all of this is in retrospect of winning the game. Incredibly brave to put George Bellow as the starting left back based on the way that Sam Vines had kind of not locked down the left back spot, but just played a very safe game throughout the knockout rounds. And George Bellow had only started the Martinique game. To start the game against Mexico just showed so much trust in him from, from Greg Berhalter. What do you think of Greg uh, George Bellow's performance? You know, I, I've heard some rumors there might have been some fitness issues in the right, left and right back depth chart for this game. And, you know, Greg turning to Ber- Bellow shows some faith in him, shows how much promise Bellow has as a player. And Bellow did really well. I think he had the toughest defensive assignment on the field. He was basically up against Tecasito the entire night. And I think there were one or two moments where he might have looked a little shaky or, you know, let someone get in behind or let someone get across away. But they were pretty few and far between. He really kind of showed out and stood on his head defensively to keep Mexico out down that left side. Yeah. Any others that really stuck out to you? I, I thought Matthew Hoppy obviously has had a phenomenal tournament and we might talk about him a bit later in the stock up, but just the man, the iron will of Matthew Hoppy and the, <laughs> I thought uh, going into the last few minutes of extra time, Greg still had a substitute to use and Matthew Hoppy couldn't even walk at that point. He had just completely run himself into the ground. But I, I think we really wanted him on the field to take a penalty kick if it went to a shootout. And mm. as soon as... Because um, at that point, there wasn't really anyone that you would take off and substitute. Like, our yeah. team was playing really well. The extra substitute came from extra time. And the only person I could see getting subbed out was Matthew Hoppy. But that didn't happen until Miles Robinson scored... Um, Williamson got the start as well. Busio came in as a substitute. Just so many super important minutes for these guys. Anyone else that yeah. stuck out to you in this game? I think Giazzi Zardes deserves to be in the conversation and deserves a conversation about his play. If it's possible to have a defensively-minded center forward, like Zardes was that last night. He was excellent in the press. He disrupted. He you know, did his job defensively. And I didn't think he was bad offensively either. Dare I say that his first touch was pretty good (laughs) above average? I'm on the Zardes bandwagon at this point. He's a decent striker (laughs) with good instincts for finishing. If we're talking about our left and right backs being open positions on the A-team, I don't necessarily think that Josh Sargent has locked down his spot as a starting striker. Do you think there's room for Zardes to to come in and start some of the World Cup qualifying games? I think there is. I mean, when you start a final against Mexico and you win, you've got to be in the conversation. I mean, clearly DK had picked up, his shoulder was bothering him the last two games, so he wasn't going to be fit to go. Zardes really gives you that, good look of someone who's going to be in the right spot at the right time. And he doesn't really need service. He just needs to be there and he'll find a way to score goals. And in games, when you are on the road in terrible conditions and your first touch doesn't matter anyway, because the pitch is terrible, you know, why not throw a Zardes out there and see if he can't find a goal or use him as a super sub 
to run at tired legs for 20 minutes in Cuba or someplace. I guess Cuba's not, we're not playing in Trinidad, but someplace like um, San Pedro Sula, where we're going to need a goal late probably to win. Yeah. And before we move on to looking high level at the tournament, I also want to give some, some claps to the officiating team. Uh, I think the head official was 30 years old, called a very tight game. I didn't love all of the calls and like the chippiness that he didn't allow, but to his credit, it did not become an absolute mess of a game and was, was quite tame for a U.S. Mexico final. Um, I think the only one that I could contest is the, the cleats to the ear being a yellow card. But what did you think about the, the officiating from the game? I mean, clearly he had a plan to say from the beginning, I'm going to call everything humanly possible under the sun to keep this thing from getting out of hand. And he went in with the strategy and executed it pretty much perfectly. So props to him for making sure that everything stayed tame. He allowed, I think called 51 fouls before he gave his first yellow card, which is yeah. insane. That has to be a record. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, n- nobody got choked. Uh, we only had one warning for homophobic chants. So all in all, <laughs> pretty successful game. <laughs> uh, if this is the floor in CONCACAF, this just shows you what an insane place it is to play. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, Tom, before we move up over to stock up, stock down, anything else from the Mexico game that you want to touch on? I don't think so. I think that that's pretty much it. Props to the guys for getting the result and getting the job done. I couldn't be any happier with the performance. We're very proud of you because we know you're (laughs) listening. (laughs) All right. So looking at the full tournament and the performances that we were able to put in throughout six complete games, whose stock rose the most to you? I have to say Miles Robinson and Kellen Acosta filled roles that we were sort of looking to have filled in this tournament. Pretty clearly to me, Kellen Acosta's Tyler Adams' backup as the six. Like, I don't think that there's a conversation to be even had there anymore. He locked that position down. He's made it his own. I think that Robinson, if not in the conversation to start, is definitely a must-have on your roster going forward and with the A-team. I think that he's better than Miazga. I think that he's probably a better defender than McKenzie and, and Richards too, even if Richards probably has a higher ceiling than him. So if we're looking for a person to pair with John Brooks, he's got to be in the conversation. Definitely those two and Turner, we've talked about them a lot. They deserve all the praise they're going to get. Those three sort of definitely have sort of pushed their way into the A-team conversation. I want to say Matthew Hoppy. James Sands and Sam Vines are my next three that really ended up as big winners this tournament. I agree. Uh, I was about to change the question on you to ask about maybe people that didn't necessarily lock down a certain position or a certain spot on the depth chart, but still made their voices heard. I think when we think about Matthew Hoppy or Sam Vines, James Sands, I think they are in that category, right? Of essentially, we don't necessarily know where they are on the depth chart, but we know that they rose from wherever they were to being in the conversation now. 
Yeah, I think there are a few more who are fall into that same category. I think that an Eric Williamson, a Giassi Zardes, Gianluca Busio, a Christian Roldan, Shaq Moore, George Bello. These guys all at least change the converse, change the narrative surrounding their position. I'm, I'm that's laughing. That's like half the roster at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing because that's basically our entire team. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically. Yeah, it's a full starting eleven, but <laughs> yeah, but that's how good this tournament went. Like that's how yeah. closely this team is as a a brotherhood. You keep hearing that word thrown around. I don't think they take that lightly. And you don't get to the final with a weaker team against Mexico and win like that without putting your yourself on the line for your teammates. And that again has to be credit to Greg. Has to be credit to the staff, the players for building that environment. And I don't think there's a lot of losers. I think there's a lot of winners coming out of this. And when we talked about our priority for finding players for World Cup qualifying, we're going to be able to take 30 players per roster and then cut it down to 23 for each game. There are a lot of guys from this Gold Cup that are going to come out winners going into the World Cup qualifiers. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I do only think there's a few players who've dropped, but there's, yeah, it's it's one of those tournaments where be, given how many spots there are and given how many players we're going to need to carry, there's a lot of room to sort of play your way into that F chart for one of these World Cup qualifying windows. And especially given the Euro guys are not always going to be healthy. I mean, we already know Eunice Moose is probably not going to be fit for September and maybe not even for October. So there's a chance for a midfielder to slide into that spot. Who ends up going? Is it Christian Roldan? Is it an Eric Williams or Gianluca Busio? Is Acosta starting in place of Musa in the, those three win those three matches? I mean, that's the type of thing that we're going to have conversations about. And the Gold Cup players are the ones who are going to be sort of filling in the gaps. Yeah. And imagine if we had lost the game against Jamaica or Qatar. And I'm not saying think about us losing. I'm just saying, think about us losing that game experience. If Yunus Musa isn't healthy for the World Cup qualifiers come September, I'm more than confident in a Gianluca Busio, in an Eric Williamson, in an Acosta taking that spot for a few games. I don't think they're the mm-hmm. better than Yunus Musa, but I am more than happy to give them the playing time and the starts in the World Cup qualifiers if someone isn't ready to go. I think that is what's so important that we can't miss from this gold cut. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's really nice having quality depth, especially young quality depth who's only going to get better. And I think we've seen a lot of players' stocks rise, and that's all we can ask for right now with this team. Yeah, I think uh, Busio's transfer to Venezia is pretty much out there at this point. <laughs> if anyone hasn't <laughs> seen it, um, Reggie Cannon in the <laughs> locker room just screaming Venezia. Gianluca Busio and Busio trying to cut him off, but <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So pretty much confirmed. I think Reggie Cannon has to be tier one in terms of U.S. <laughs> transfer news. Um, so there's pro- there are probably a few players that had their stock down in this tournament. Who were they for you, Tom? I only have four on the list. I think that obviously Daryl DK had a chance to come in and solidify his name at the top of the striker striker depth chart and instead I think he not only left the door open but probably fell a little bit on it and 
I think that's a little unfair to him because I do think that he was playing with a shoulder injury for the last two games he played. But at the same time, he just didn't quite look sharp throughout the Gold Cup. And but he needed to. to the next player, I think that one is the the hardest to take as a fan because the Gold Cup was supposed to be Daryl DK's coming out party and his tournament to really raise his value. And if anything, I think he showed that he's not worth $20 million. Yeah. He's probably I think the, worth way lower than that. The big losers of all this Gold Cup are Orlando City, unfortunately. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. I'm sure as an Atlanta United fan, you're going to be happy to get a few of your starters back. Yeah. Run, run the games you've been on. And hey, maybe Tata Martino is uh, open <laughs> to coming back after he gets fired. But that has been a conversation. Still, he is still employed by the Mexican Federation. Um, so who are your other three that had their stock down? I have Paul Areola on the list. Just not as anything he did, but just... He had to really raise his game to be in the conversation with a Tim Weah or a Brendan Aronson or a Gio Reyna, and I don't think he did. So we I don't see him being good wingers. That, that is yeah. where our depth is right now. Yeah. I mean, even a Tyler Boyd is probably a better option for me than Areola on the right wing. I would take any Europa League level player over Paul Areola at this point. Yeah, I thought Ariola was decent defensively, but his finishing, his offensive work was just not great throughout he, the he Gold Cup. He was good for what we needed in a leader and a person on the field for the Gold Cup with the the youth on our team. But I think going into World Cup qualifiers, we will have players back like John Brooks, like uh, Zach Steffen, like people that are maybe late 20s, early 30s that have been there in the same position that Paul Ariola would play as kind of a captain and team motivator. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just don't see a need to carry him at all. So yeah. I, that that's not a good place to be in at the end of this gold cup. Yeah. Then my last two, I think this is sort of my biggest credit to Burhalter for his, his man selection flexibility. We saw Jonathan Lewis and Jackson Yule lose their spots in real time in this gold cup. Like from game one, we saw both Yule and Lewis in the starting lineup. Lewis didn't play again, the entire tournament and Yule made a 20 minute sub appearance against Canada. And that was it for both players. Maybe Yule played against Martinique too. I, I remember being in there. very upset after the Haiti game for Jonathan Lewis starting that game. Because we had been talking about, uh, well, maybe, you know, he's he's one of the only players on the roster that isn't afraid to shoot. So maybe we have him there as a super sub. And lo and behold, game one, he's starting on the field. Um, I don't know if it was as much the case for Jonathan Lewis of just him not being to the level of the rest of the players. I do think for Jackson Ewell, this was kind of a phase out, similar to the way that we phased out Will Trap. It was just Greg giving him kind of one or two last chances. And as he continued to not perform and not take those chances, that like that's fair. That's fair game for Eric Williamson. That's fair game for Acosta. That's fair game for Busio to come in and take that position. And credit yeah. to them that they did. And they, they played 
way better than Jackson Ewell has in the last five or so games. Yeah, I mean, Jackson Ewell's inability to do anything positively progressive, even though that's supposed to be his game, sort of showed you why he lost his spot. And it was pretty apparent to anyone who was following that he was going to lose a spot. So fair play to the others who made it happen. A few of the other players that we haven't talked about stock up, stock down, we can just infer that they kind of stayed where they were at. Um, yeah. But I want to ask you about Donovan Pines. He he was kind of like this outlier in the roster. Nobody really knew who he was. Nobody could even be mad because we didn't know where he came from. Um, he did get to play a, a good amount because Walker Zimmerman was injured for a lot of the tournament. Did anything stick out to you in terms of the way that Donovan Pines played or maybe touch on Reggie Cannon and Shaq Moore, who who we haven't talked about either? I have both the Cannon and Donovan Pines in my in my no change group. I, you know, Pines is so buried on the center back depth chart that I'm not sure he did anything to show me that he's going to fight his way into the, even the top eight. I think if I had to build a roster of U.S. players, it would take me until... I had partnered four groups of center backs with each other before I reached Donovan Pines, maybe yeah. more. Um, I'm wondering so, if, yeah, I'm wondering if the coaching team just saw maybe his ceiling was high, but his floor was also low, and they brought mm-hmm. him into a camp to just see how he performed. Yeah, I mean, I think it was sort of a, you know, we've seen Justin Glad and Henry Kessler before in uh, Olympic qualifying. We've seen a lot of the young MLS center backs. I think the only other young MLS center back we have is Austin trusty. And so I, there's no harm in calling him in, especially when the other options are either in Europe or are, you know, I other MLS players. So might as well call he's huge. Might get a look and see if he's a U.S. player, but I don't think he took the chance. So I, I don't see him being involved in world cup qualifying. He's a project if not like a fringe MLS player for the rest of his career. And then Cannon, he had, he played well when he was on the field. He's just, you know, a solid rotation piece at right back. I don't think he's pushing Serginho Dest for the starting job, but he clearly is an experienced veteran who can help lock down a game when he comes on the field or can help lock down a game when he starts. So I never am worried when, when the Cannon's on the field but he didn't show me anything that was like, wow, he's better than Dest. He also didn't make me want someone to replace him as the backup. Yeah. What about his backup, Shaq Moore? <laughs> I mean, Shaq Moore definitely reminded people that he's in the conversation. I think he's being at Tenerife has sort of put him out of sight, out of mind, but he's got to be in the conversation now, at least for the top four or five fullback slots. I've been very low on Brian Reynolds for a while, so I think that Shaq Moore could very easily slot into the Brian Reynolds spot, but that's even still pretty low down the depth chart. The question for me is whether Shaq Moore is better than DeAndre Yedlin, and that's a discussion, if not settled at this point, right? I think so, and to be fair to the same conversation that we're having about Areola is Yedlin does bring that veteran stature now it seems Mm. weird to say that after following 
like him coming up in the Sounders Academy. I think we're just getting old is what's happening. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, DeAndre Edlin is a veteran now. And if we're looking for players to come in, play a part in the team and be that veteran presence, then I think there's way better players that fit into the 23 or the 30-man roster better than someone like per- Paul Ariola. And DeAndre Edlin is one of those players. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the unfortunate thing for Moore is that we are so, so deep at right back and we're just getting younger and deeper at right back. So that's where I wonder if he's got a part to play. And I think it's going to be up to him to get a move away from Tenerife to actually stake his claim to a spot on the depth chart. Yeah. And we saw how players that were in their European club preseason could move up the U.S. depth chart just by having some good performances. I, you mentioned uh, Brian Reynolds on Roma being coached by Jose Mourinho, has started and played most of Roma's preseason games. Joe Scali is somewhat of a dark horse player. People that aren't really paying attention is playing right back and, and left back for Borussia Mönchengladbach, a team in the Bundesliga, and getting a lot of praise from his coach in terms of his elevation to the first team level so i think there's a lot of competition there and if you're in the second uh, division in spain and someone is 19 or 20 years old getting minutes in syria A or the bundesliga then just on merit it's going to be a lot more difficult to get called into these world cup qualifiers yeah and keep in mind too Sergio dest is 21 years old yeah like that's that's the jersey i'm repping right now um but yeah yeah i mean we've got so many insane young right backs that more is gonna have to do something special to fight for playing time can can we stop on that conversation because i want to have a very positive end to this episode (laughs) the fact that Not only do we have some incredibly young players that just seem to keep churning out, just coming out of nowhere and and going to Europe, but we're also winning now against our biggest Mm -hmm. rivals. You saw last night Alexi Lalas get emotional as he, say what you want about Alexi, but he cares a lot about this team. Tell me what you're thinking as we head into the club season after the summer of soccer from the U.S. men's national team. I to expect great things from them. Like I, I, I hesitate to raise my expectations. I'm a Georgia sports fan through and through. And, you know, raising your expectations is never something that I've been good at, but the performances that we've showed, especially in knockout stage games, make me think that we're ready for more. Um, in my experience, teams that, are losing close games or, or who are winning at the very end of games are very close to taking the next step to greatness there. If they can consistently be that one goal or that one possession away from winning a game, they're on the cusp of going on a tear and becoming a great team. And the U S has done nothing except score important late goal to win and equalize this summer. I think actually in all five of their group stage games this summer, a goal was scored to equalize or win after the 82nd minute. And they ended up winning all those games. Yeah. Yeah. At some point we were saying it's better to be lucky than good, but after five 
times being lucky against very good teams, I think at some point you just have to say that that happened for a reason. But yeah, we we said it last episode, guys and girls, like it is an incredible time to be a fan of this team. And if you're hopping on the wagon now or a DeAndre Yedlin stand from his Seattle Sounder days, like it is one of the best times to be a fan of this sport and to to follow and track these players and these teams. Um, I just couldn't be more excited about the World Cup qualifiers. Bring it on. We're the kings of CONCACAF. Like anything else that needs to be said? Kings of CONCACAF twice over in one summer? I don't think anything else needs to be said at this point. There is so much excitement to be had following this team. I can't wait to see where they go. The U.S. exceeded all expectations this summer and gave us an amazing summer of soccer. And I'm just happy to have been a part of it, happy to witness it, happy to talk about it here on our brand new podcast that started at an excellent time and looking forward to great things this fall in World Cup qualifying. Glad that all of us who are maybe newer starting to follow along or jumping on with us because we're so happy to have you well said and it might be us i don't think the national team has lost a game since we started this podcast so you better keep listening (laughs) and better keep supporting us if you want us to win the rest of the games for all of eternity so (laughs) with that being said thank you so much for all the support thanks for listening as always and we will see you next week Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.